my kids are slowly but surely starting to get older. That I don't have one 10 years old, but I've got a nine, and eight, and a four-year-old. And I don't know if y'all have noticed this with your kids, grandkids, but the older they get, their taste seems to get a little bit more expensive. I'm starting to notice this. I remember when my kids were real little, and they're still little, but when they were real little, it didn't take much to impress them. You could go to Target and buy a ball for 10 bucks. That's all you needed. Sometimes you could buy a toy, and the truth is the box was really all that they needed. But now my kids, they have higher taste. They've seen the things that this world has to offer. So now they want technology. They want video games. They want clothes and nice clothes. They want trips and experiences. And they see these things and they want them, but you want to know what my kids actually ask for the most, my two older kids in particular? It's this right here. They want an iPhone, which it's amazing to me that my nine-year-old and eight-year-old want an iPhone, but they really want an iPhone. And they make sure I know that, I, that they want that iPhone. And they ask me for an iPhone all the time, and they know it's kind of a joke because they, one, know their daddy's cheap and he's not going to buy them an iPhone, but then, two, they also know they're too young. I've told them that. Absolutely not. You're not getting an iPhone. But it's amazing how they look at this little phone right here that most of us have in our pockets, our purses. And when they look at this, this is what their heart is set on. And the reason why is they see on this small little screen, they see power and opportunity. They see in there a gateway to communicate to the world, to text, to call. They see pathways to all kinds of joy, like YouTube videos and games. They see Netflix. They see all this stuff, and they look to this little device, and they want it so badly because they believe it will give them the power and the freedom that they really need. But isn't it interesting that though this thing is worth a lot of money, I find it interesting that it's actually worth a lick if you don't have this right here. <laughs> have you ever been there where you've had this, but you've not had this? And it's ironic because this costs $1,000, this costs about 30 but if you don't have this, it doesn't matter how great this really is. Why? It's because it needs the power in it to light it up. And it's the same thing in our lives. I will argue that as we get older, yes, most of us in this room, we already have iPhones, but there's always an iPhone. There's always an iPhone that we're going after, that we think if I could just have that career, if I could just have that job, that paycheck, that family that looks perfect on Facebook, if I could just have that child that would get his or her act together, if I could just have that reputation, if I could just have that vacation, if I could just have that retirement, if I could just have that car, that house, that boat, there's always an iPhone we're going after. But the truth is, if you don't have the power of Jesus Christ in your life, it's actually worth nothing nothing. It's worth nothing. And what I want you to hear today is this. Jesus wants to light up your life. And in fact, when you plug into the power of Jesus Christ, suddenly all of this makes sense. All of this stuff that we thought would fulfill us suddenly has the power that it really needed. And the question then is, where do we find it? And today I want us to see that the power source is the Word of God. That Jesus gave us this book because it has power. And if you and I want to actually do something for the kingdom and shine into a city filled with darkness, you better be connected to the source. And today we're going to look at that principle 
of why we need the power of the Word of God and how the Word of God can transform our lives and change us so that we can shine as that city on a hill. But the only way you're going to shine in your own life is if you get plugged in to the Word. So let's turn to the Word today in Matthew 5, and we're going to see this. Jesus is going to establish the principles. We'll see it saturated through Scripture. But let's begin there in chapter 5 and verse 14. Jesus tells us, you, followers of him, he says, you are the light of the world. And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Just pause there. Jesus, if you remember, said, you, followers, disciples, church, he says, you're the light. And if you remember last week, we talked about how in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus is called the light. He's the light of the world. God sent the light down to the earth to push back darkness, to change this world, and Jesus certainly did. But then he looked to his followers and he said, now, you're the light. He says, you're the light of the world. In other words, he's kind of passing that baton to us here on this earth to carry and he says, you're the light, and he makes a promise. He says, the city that you're building, the city set on a hill, it cannot be hidden. In other words, you're going to look different. That's what Jesus is in the business of. It's changing our lives, that he wants to light up your life, to make you different than the rest of this world. And he says, you're going to be so different, you can't even hide People are going to know you're different. You're going to look different, sound different. You're going to have different ambition. You're going to have a power running through your body that the rest of the world won't understand. You might say, how do I get that power? Because he said you're going to somehow light up. What's the power source? It actually all starts with the gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul famously says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Many of you know it's translated as good news, but it's not just any arbitrary good news. The good news is what God has done for man through Jesus Christ. It's Jesus' perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. It's the message of Jesus Christ of how he's reconciled man back to the Father through the body and through the blood. It's the promise of new life that all of us can have by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel message, and Paul described it a certain way. He said it has power. He says it's powerful. And what does that word powerful mean? It's actually in the Greek, the word is dunamis. Dunamis. It's a word that we get that word dynamite from. Paul says this gospel message has dynamite power, explosive power. It has power to push back strongholds that have been on your life for your entire life. It has power to change you and transform you so you start shining and looking differently that other people will notice. Jesus says it has so much power it can give you a second birth. Paul says it has so much power it can make you a new creation. The gospel message has explosive power. 
And I hope you understand the first point today. It's simply this. The gospel lights up our hearts. It's the gospel. The gospel is what lights up your heart. It's what changes you, gives you suddenly life where there formerly was death. That all of a sudden there is a new heart with new desires, new ambition, new passion, new giftedness. The gospel lights up our hearts And this has always been the vision in Scripture that it would do so. Even in the Old Testament, when Israel had the law, they saw the law, they read the law, and they understood it. They understood what they were supposed to be, that they were supposed to be shining, but they seemed to not have the power to do so. And the prophet Ezekiel saw a day where there was going to be a power source that was going to come into our hearts. The prophet said in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God tells him, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God tells Ezekiel that I see right now what's happening with Israel. You know the law, you're just not very good at it that you keep messing up, you lack power. And then Jesus said when he left in Acts 1.8, he told his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And for each of us, we can welcome the Holy Spirit into our lives by simply saying yes to Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter one, we're told that the moment you believe, the moment you profess your faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit sealed your heart and he empowered your heart so that you can look radically different, that you can have a new life with new ambition, new future, new hope, new vision for the rest of your life because that old heart of stone can be transformed into a heart of flesh. Ezekiel promised it, and Jesus' saving work fulfilled it. Through Christ and through belief in him, you and I can have our hearts come alive. Some of you all noticed when you walked in, there's a sign up here, let there be light. And this sign up here, I will first of all say thank you because we had wonderful volunteers that helped build that. But they built this sign, and I gave them a project. It wasn't just because I was feeling all artsy one day. It was because I wanted a purposeful message. This message, Let There Be Light, we preached on that last week. We talked about that. Those were the words that God first spoke into creation. It's the words that we are going to embrace as a church. Our heart's desire is the same as God's. We want there to be more light. Let there be light. That we want God to shine into dark places. We want to be a part of that work. So they built this sign, and you might notice there's some bulbs in there with that little slogan. And you might have noticed some were missing. I will go ahead and remove some concerns. The budget, it wasn't a constraint. It wasn't that somehow we, we needed somebody to donate some bulbs. That wasn't the issue. If you count it, you'll find out that there's exactly 40 bulbs in that sign. And that number 40 is not just a random number. That is the specific number of people that we've baptized this year at ABC. We've baptized 40 believers, 40 people, have raised their flag for Jesus Christ. Meaning they stepped into those waters to make a public profession. What they already knew inwardly, they showed outwardly that they are his. That they said, yes, my life has been changed 
through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. And they went into those waters to raise their flags for Jesus Christ, saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That yes, God has come into my life and the light has lit me up. And they raised that flag and we have that sign up there to remember that those 40 people have identified with Christ to celebrate that. But then you notice there's also some other spots empty. It's because I believe the gospel still works. And I believe more bulbs are going to go in there in the coming days. I believe more people will have their hearts transformed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isaiah tells us in chapter 55, verse 11, that the word of God does not return void. And I believe the gospel still lights up hearts. And so we will look to this sign in the coming days and we will see the work to be done because how does that light go out? We have to start sending it out ourselves. We start shining for him by both word and deed in hopes that others might put their bulb in next. And the reason why is because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ in this place. We believe in it. It's the only source of power to transform our hearts. So I hope you hear me on this point, that only one gospel must be proclaimed on this hill. If we want to be a city on a hill, only one gospel must be proclaimed on this hill. There's a lot of other gospels that are being proclaimed if you don't know that. Gospels left and right. There's a social justice gospel. There's a therapeutic gospel. There's a prosperity gospel. There's a moralistic gospel. And I will just go ahead and tell you, if there's a word before gospel, it's not the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. The gospel in its simplest sense of the word is the good news, what Jesus has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. And when we muddy the waters, that other things are as good as that news. It's not the gospel. That is the gospel. And that's what saves. And only one gospel will be preached from this pulpit. But I can also tell you, if you want to get serious about that gospel, some people are not going to like that. Just this last week, actually, Bethany and I in our older kids' school, our kids are in a local elementary near our house, this past week was See You at the Poll Day. If some of y'all know what that is, some of you don't. It's a, a thing that started in the early 90s, a national movement. It really, it goes around the world now, where a few students in the early 90s felt moved in their hearts to gather around the flagpole and pray for their schools. Pray for their schools and pray for their country. Well, it became a movement that churches partnered with all kinds of different areas and the people of God from all around. They come to these flagpoles and they pray. They pray for the schools. They pray for their country. And we had always done that in our last city where we lived. So my kids' school, they had it. And we were looking, is there a CU at the poll? There apparently was not a CU at the poll group. So Bethany and I organized a CU at the poll group. And we put the word out on different social media things for families in the school to show up and pray around that flagpole. Well, you fast forward to the day, there were people that showed up. Praise the Lord. We didn't pray alone. And we had probably 25, 30 of us that showed up, kids and parents, and we prayed for our schools. We prayed for the administrators. We prayed for our country. We prayed for our military. We prayed for all these things publicly right there in front of the school as other people walked in and went about their business. It was a great day. 
But I remember on the social media postings when I went back looking at it, because we advertised in all the little neighborhood groups and this and that, all the stuff out there, and a lot of people were excited and they did show up. But there were a lot of other people that made comments. And some of those comments were expected. There were some saying that it was completely inappropriate because they don't want any prayer in school, even though technically we were outside of the school and it was perfectly appropriate. But some people did not want anything religious within a reach of that school, so they didn't like that. But then some other people, and this is where it was a little bit more troubling for me, some people that were actually believers made a few posts saying the event wasn't inclusive enough because I didn't invite Muslims, Hindus, every other religion to come pray to their gods with us. The reason I did not invite them to do so is because there's one God. One. There's only one. Don't buy into cultural garbage. I can't invite them to come pray to their gods because my God said in the first commandment, don't have any other gods. There's only one. We have one triune God, one pathway of salvation. And because of that, that's offensive to people outside of it. Peter warned about it in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. He's the rock on which we stand. But he also said he's a stumbling block for other people. That for some, they stand on that rock of salvation. For others, they trip right over it. And Peter warns us, be ready for that. Don't be shocked when people don't understand it. That we have to understand that Christianity is both the most exclusive and inclusive faith in the whole world. Because we are exclusive in the sense that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said he's the only way. Salvation is exclusively through him. But it's also incredibly inclusive. Because Jesus gives an inclusive invitation when he says, come to me all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And we have to find rest in that message. You cannot be ashamed of the gospel. And too many Christians are getting ashamed of it. And shame to you if you start apologizing for God's word. Shame to you. If somehow you feel like you have to defend our God, God doesn't need our defense. He doesn't need it. His word stands on its own power. And we must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it has the power to light up hearts. But at the same time, it is hard to walk through a dark world because not everybody understands that, which is why you need to understand our second point today. It's that God's word will light up your path. It's hard to walk through a dark world. And yes, the gospel might light up our hearts, but what do we do about all the darkness that we live in? The word of God will light up your path. Psalm 119 famously says this. We're told that your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. This word illuminates, it lights up where to go. So often we're confused of what's next. How do we handle that situation? How do we handle our marriage? How do we handle that neighbor? How do we handle that job? How do we handle all this stuff? And the word of God's been given to us so that we may be thoroughly equipped is what Paul tells Timothy for every good work. The word of God lights up our paths. It shows us where to go and how to go in this world of darkness. 
I think back to the book of Exodus. You remember Moses. Moses got called by God to redeem Israel from captivity. The Israelites had been under bondage for 400 years. That Egypt had an evil Pharaoh who was oppressing God's people. And Moses gets called in to come and set them free. To take them out, cross the Red Sea, and go towards a promised land. But you remember what happens after God does send the ten plagues, Pharaoh lets go, and then he changes his mind. They get across the Red Sea, and then all they have at that point is a promise, that there's a promised land that's awaiting them. And naturally, they think, where should I go? How do I go? Which way is it? You remember what God did for his people? He sent his presence through a cloud and through fire that he sent fire in front of them, saying, just follow my light. I'll show you where to go. And I hope you understand that you and I are no different than those Israelites. We have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. God has set us free through Jesus Christ. And likewise, he has promised a promised land that's awaiting us. And you and I are marching towards it, that we will come to see it one day at our death or when Christ returns, whatever happens first. But until then, we're wondering which direction do we go? How do we handle this? How do we handle that? How do we handle all the issues in our world? And God says, just follow the light. Follow the light. Follow this book because this book is fire. It is fire. And it'll give you all that you need. And I truly am convinced most of the problems in churches around America where everyone is falling apart is because they've stopped following the light. They've stopped following the book. If you think about the Israelites, that if they wandered through the wilderness, if they stopped looking at that light and following, they inevitably would have gotten tangled up in the wilderness and darkness. They wouldn't have known where they are and what to do. And so many people today are tangled up wondering, I don't know where to go or what to do. I don't know what on earth's happening. I don't know how to handle this pandemic. I don't know how to handle the political issues. I don't know how to handle my fear, my anxiety. I don't know how to handle all the scientists telling my kids crazy stuff. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. And God's saying, look to the lamp. Look to the lamp, it's gonna guide your steps. So all of us in this room need to know this, that if we want to be a city on a hill, This word must be taught on this hill. It must be taught. It absolutely must be taught. Because you're being taught other garbage the other six days of this week. And you have to hear from the light, from the lamp, so that you know what on earth to do. Paul warned us that there will be other teachers. Famously in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said the time is coming in verse 3. When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they'll wander off into myths. People have accumulated teachers for their own desires. People have turned away from the lamp. And people have wandered off into all kinds of crazy myths. And that's why here on this hill, we will always teach the word of God because it is the power source that will give us the light to shine in the city. 
I can tell you I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not a life coach. I'm a preacher of God's word. That's what we do in here. And likewise, when we scatter, I encourage you, if you're not already in one, you're missing out. You need to be in a Bible fellowship group. You absolutely need that. Why? Because of the word Bible. You need the Bible to guide your life. And what's happening right now is this is a one-sided conversation. You know what happens when you get in a smaller group? This. You can do this. And say, well, how do I apply that in my home? Or here's the situation in my marriage. Here's the situation at work. What do I do about that? I don't understand that. Can you help explain it? Because God's word is meant to be understood, but so often we need this to understand it. And if you will not humble yourself and be a part of a fellowship that's centered around God's word, you'll never have the lamp set out to guide your path. So I encourage you, if you're not in one, be in one. Because the word of God is taught on this hill because we believe it will guide your steps in a dark world. And when you get in this book, this book one day will start to get in you. It'll change you. I love that story of Moses in Exodus 34 to go to that same illustration. You remember, he went up the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he went up for a purpose. It was to meet with the Lord. And he actually went up twice, if you remember the story. He went up once, got the tablets, came down. Israel was worshiping a golden calf. Like a typical angry man, he started breaking things, including those tablets. And then he had to go back up and go meet with God again. And he got a secondary set. And he got that set of tablets and he brought it back down. But when he brought it back down, you remember how he looked? We're told in Exodus 34, verse 29, we're told, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Moses came down the mountain and his face looked different. He had a light on him. And why? It's because he'd been meeting with God. And when you and I go down from this mountain, down from this hill, we should look different. We absolutely should have a light that's on our face because we've met with God. We've spent time with him. And our time with God changes us when we leave this place. And our time with God tomorrow at your house will change you as you leave your house. The time with God lights us up. I love that picture that he heard from the Lord. He heard the Lord's words, and it made his face shine. And some of you need to hear from the Lord's word. And when you open that book, it will compel you and lead you and empower you to look different than the way you came in. And I want you to hear this above all today. God wants to light up your life. He wants to give you that same illustration of power. You might feel like that dead iPhone right now. God wants to light you up, but it won't happen until you hear from his word. 